You're listening to The Heart of It Podcast. My name is Sam Smeltzer, and I'm an HR intuitive and healer. In this podcast, we'll chat about what the industry of human resources can make possible for people and our organizations. In each episode, we'll have raw conversation around inner development and organizational culture change to create a working world where both people and organizations thrive. Thank you for listening. Now let's get this episode started. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Heart of It podcast as we continue through our Chapter Chats Summer Book Club uh, podcast segment. And we're on week three of the Slide Edge and we're almost finished, which is pretty crazy. We have one more episode next week um, and then we will be finished with the Slide Edge. We've plowed through the Slide Edge in a month. which is pretty awesome. And we'll move on to our second book, which is The Law of Divine Compensation by Marianne Williamson. Um, So yeah, Kim is back again with me to help process the next 70 pages. And it was pages, if you're following along, it was pages 141 to 212 in the book. And we are using the second edition for our discussions. So I guess, um, Kim, I'll let you say hello and you can go into kind of what were your initial general reactions to these 70 pages. All right, good, good morning. Uh, I think this section was a little bit different than earlier. And every time we read another section, it kind of has a different flavor again. Um, this one seemed to be more application-based than the last sections, I thought. Um, he still does use an awful lot of his experiences, um, but I like those, and I like that it goes a little bit deeper in this section as far as more details and more, kind of more challenging you um, to go a little bit deeper, um, so actually using it. Uh, what I really liked, um, which is odd, was his story about the funerals. Um, and that he learned a story from funerals. And for me, that's really kind of applicable now because um, with the quarantine, funerals are very different. Um, so me personally and me as a, as a mental health practitioner, um, funerals are all kind of on pause or very limited for people. So grief is really different. So when he talks about reading that story about how you know people decide if it's the weather or not to go, Um, and that so few people cry at them and that that really made him actually like make a leap and actually try something, um, really because I think so often we kind of look at that stuff and go, oh, well, you know, someday somebody will recognize me for something or being other people's approval in general, you know, or or living for other people's expectations. And when that really kind of hit where he was like, nope, I'm just going to do it. So I thought that was interesting. That was probably one of my biggest takeaways out of this whole section, actually. I have to say that I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, This part was definitely more practical in application. 
Um, but I also found it very much more challenging. Like I found myself, it was still easy to read, but I had to have more moments of pause because of the way it was hitting me and relevancy um, and how I had to kind of process and take that in. And since you kind of dove into your, um, you know, something that really resonated with you, that's, that's a really great way for us to transition into our key moments of connection with this section. And um, I'll, I'll share mine and then I'll, I'll loop back to you, Kim, to see um, if you have anything to add beyond the funeral piece, which was a huge, powerful component for me as well, uh, really uh, hit in different ways. And you're speaking to the times. I mean, right now, people that have to grieve loss, uh, they're not able to have closure how we've traditionally done so culturally for, for several years. Um, for me, you know, and it was right at the beginning that it really started to hit home was this concept of the two life paths, which is actually a concept that I teach fairly frequently from this book, uh, because I think it's really important for us to understand the people around us and what life path they're on. In particular, those that are not maybe on the path of success, he says the path of failure, but people that are moving in a downward sloping direction, um, this concept of blame and responsibility, uh, a lack of responsibility and always being in this state of blame and always, um, where's the other piece? I have to flip through. Yeah. So the concept of blame and responsibility, uh, but also this concept about past and future. So people that are on this downward curve and not going towards success are usually in a state of blame. It's everyone else's fault, but their own. They're also always like just brooding and like cannot get out of talking about the past um, and processing that over and over and over and over again, um, which, you know, having emotional reactions and, um, and I'm sure Kim, when I cycle back to you, you'll have your own thoughts on the, on these two concepts as well uh, by the work that you actually do, but we're allowed to have those human emotions and, um, and process things that happen in our past. But when we translate those things to become almost excuses as to why we can't get somewhere, that's when it becomes almost uh, a problem or a stagnation. And that, that really kind of hit home for me because I've worked really hard to not be someone who's always stuck in the past. And, and I did live in a state of blame for a lot of my professional career. Um, and as an entrepreneur, I'm trying to be at the forefront of not doing that. And, and it was interesting because this really gave me a time of reflection to look at the people that I'm surrounding myself with and how are they functioning um, and where are they on their curves, which for whatever reason, I haven't done that for a long, long time. So these two life paths really started to come alive to me as far as looking at where are people on their life paths in, in my life. Um, what about you, Kim? I mean, what are your thoughts on on that section, but then also... Um, anything else that really resonated with you from these pages? Well, I really like the part where she he has the title, Don't Complain About What You Allow. And so often people's boundaries are built not on their own boundaries and their own expectations on themselves, but on their expectations that others place on them. Uh, and so it's funny because I've been doing a lot of of kind of thinking and reading and working on gender expectations lately. 
and what are the lessons that we teach children based on gender, especially now that um, we have folks that are trans and um, what are they picking up as they transition from being male to female or female to male and depending on what part of life development they do that in. Um, it's really interesting what we teach people and that we teach girls, especially, to be more submissive, to be more uh, appreciative of other people's expectations. And um, so I think this part was really interesting to me because you're choosing responsibility by choosing the, the slight edge. But I don't think it means that you're choosing responsibilities based on other people's expectations all the time. I think it's your choice of what you're you're choosing um, and and being actively involved in taking responsibility for, um, and so I, I think that's interesting. Sometimes when you choose responsibility, you're choosing to say no and not take responsibility for something that's not yours, and and that's a hard concept, especially for women um, who have been groomed to always say yes and always twist and turn themselves to meet those expectations of other people at their own detriment often. Yeah, and you know, when you were saying that, I, I was quickly paging through on the book because um, there's the passage under who's really running the store in the invest in yourself chapter. And he basically says, you know, the sobering fact is you do 99.99% of everything you do on autopilot. The sobering fact is that we do 99.99% of our lives on automatic pilot. How did we end up here? We're doing it on automatic pilot. What determines where you end up? It's all a question of what route you have programmed into your subconscious. And that's something that you can let others program for you, your school, parents, teachers, friends, TV, etc. You can choose to program it yourself. It's up to you. So this whole concept of um, choice, I think, is a real powerful one there. So going back to that, he really talks in this whole section more often about failure again um, and being able to take those chances, just like him being a salesman and expecting it to turn out badly, and then it turns out badly. But at least he tried. Uh, we don't teach people that it's not quick and easy but we expect quick and easy. And um, we're not teaching our kids, especially the right things on that, that everything is instant and, and simple and you should always be able to accomplish an A rather than being satisfied with a lower grade because that's what you actually earned. Uh, and that's okay if that's what you actually earned. Maybe you need to learn to work a little harder. Um, and we need to do that as adults, that we get what we put into it. And I, I think that's that thesis, the whole part of Slight Edge is you get what you put in or you get what you don't put in. Yeah, very, very nicely said. Um, any other pieces that really uh, connected with you that you wanted to share before we move into our closing um, captions or passages? Well, I actually snuck a little bit past 212 to finish the chapter. Um, and I, I liked how he ended the use your slight allies that he talks about reflection and celebration and completion. And that he, he ties that in with the momentum and they all go together and they all build on each other. 
And so hopefully when people keep finishing that chapter next week, they'll see that they all, all kind of fit together like building blocks. Um, and I like that he does that reflection instead of just the to-do list because you can get bogged down in the to-dos and overwhelmed by how large that list is and follow that list and then you completely miss that there's other stuff that you haven't even enjoyed completing because you're chasing the next thing you gotta get done. I uh, love that you brought that piece up because um, I had like, I made my notes for our conversation today and then I was like, well, I have to sneak this in here somewhere because um, in that chapter that you're referencing, the talks about these four kind of powerful forces that are allies to the slight edge and you hinted at celebration and reflection and uh, momentum. And then obviously one of them is completion. And for me, I am struggling right now because I have several uh, incomplete, I would say continuing education courses that for whatever reason they got hard and I put them aside and I was really reading this and took it as a call to action to start using the slide edge and start taking it, you know, bite size at a time, baby steps to get through and finish these things. And um, there was this, um, he wrote on here, um, each and every incomplete thing in your life or work exerts a draining force on you, sucking the energy of accomplishment and success out of you as surely as a vampire stealing your blood. Every incomplete promise, commitment, or agreement saps your strength because it blocks your momentum and chokes off your ability to move forward, progress, or improve. Incomplete things keep calling you back to the past to take care of them. And I'm someone who actually struggles a lot with sustaining my energy. And so reading that and visualizing that these incomplete projects are just as much of an energy sucker because they're sitting there waiting to be done as, you know, toxic people in my life was really kind of eye-opening that I need to start coming up with some sort of strategy to um, start making those things um, come to completion. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I did end up starting that uh, walking challenge that we had talked about. And so it's exactly like you say, only kind of in reverse because this is, um, logging the completion of it and so you see like hey i've got this many miles in in this many days and then it actually has an average in it of what you still have to do in the number of days you have to complete it and so if you're slacking off you see that you need to complete more mileage per day because you're kind of cutting back or if you're just getting a little bit more, you see that just a little bit, even if it's 0, 0.0 and then a number, comes off that average. And, you know, it's kind of silly to look at a hundredth of a percent, but um, it feels pretty good when you realize that you're actually moving in a direction where you, the amount you have to walk every day is less than it was before because you're doing just a teeny tiny bit more. Um, so I agree. Sometimes you just got to work on completion of things. and and plug through them a little at a time. Great. Yeah, so lots of good stuff in these 70 pages, even so much more so that um, I love how Kim shared that she like had to sneak past the 70 pages because um, that was a really great, awesome chapter. And I was 
you know, we're doing the 70 pages, the 10 pages a day, trying to keep it there. But, you know, you can always do that little bit of more. It's not going to be a bad thing because um, more is better, but more so the consistency is what we're after. But it it speaks to the the power, I think, of these pages and how they speak um, when you feel like you need to go a little bit more because it's really feeding um, and giving you what you need at this moment. So we're going to move into, I guess, our closing captions. Um, so I had a tough time picking mine and I ended up going with one that I think uh, I really truly wanted to share with people who are listening because um, it's probably a conversation that I have with many, many clients um, and even in uh, group coaching situations with colleagues and peers when we're over coffee, there's, um, there is this weird stipulation out there that sometimes people believe that uh, these perfect marriages exist uh, that people don't work at, and that's not true. Um, and people are trying to figure out how to have that, that perfect marriage. Uh, which is hard because two people are always constantly evolving and changing. But the other piece of this is uh, I think people severely underestimate the role that a marriage plays in your life because you're, you're sharing your life with somebody else and how you think that that's going to be isolated and not impacting your life uh, is always something that's kind of um, caught me off guard a little bit. Um, but he, uh, in, in the two life paths chapter, um, Jeff Olson talks about kind of really checking in with all the different areas of your life to make sure that they are moving in the right direction, all associated with the upward curve. And in this chapter, when he's going through all that, he does touch on marriage and he says, if you are married would you describe your marriage as a, and you had to describe your marriage as a plant, would it be a plant that is growing taller, riper, fuller, and richer with each passing year? Um, and I thought that is a really clear image for people of what your marriage should be like. Um, and when, just like when you think about a plant, <laughs> and I struggle with keeping plants alive, Kim knows this because she's actually pruned plants in my office for me. Um, but when you when you look at a plant, when it needs attention, you give it attention. You know that there's certain things that you have to do to help take care of it or it doesn't survive. Then there's other things that you can do to make it thrive and be this gorgeous thing. Like we have a lime tree that we can't get to produce limes to save our life. And we've done all kinds of research, um, but we know it's not getting some specific nutrient or need for it to fruit. It will flower, but it will not fruit. But that's the same thing with any kind of relationships. You have to uh, nurture them and, and to get that richness and that fullness that people are seeking. It's not just given. It's not that we wish or we want it really badly and it just comes. There is work associated with it. And the best thing for a marriage is to do small, simple actions every single day. That's usually what pays off in the long run because marriage is supposed to be the marathon of forever, not <laughs> the five-year plan or something like that. Um, so I just thought this was really like a powerful image that I wanted to share with everyone because I hear people talk about it a lot. Uh, and unfortunately in our culture, I think we just push marriage as something that you're supposed to do. And so there's a lot of us who get wrapped up into marriage 
when it maybe was not necessarily the step that was meant for us in our path or with that person. So that's my closing caption for this week. How about you, Kim? So I really liked the law of association and the part after it, sometimes you need to run in the other direction. So right now with the quarantine, we are in the part of disaster response that we call disillusionment. And so uh, there's a honeymoon phase before that where people are kind of just grateful that they're okay and they're kind of coasting along and then they hit disillusionment and they're like, oh, everything sucks. I hate it. Nothing's working. They're just ticked off. Um, nothing moves fast enough, all those realities of being a disaster and that it's not going to be the same and um, the resources aren't working the way we hope they are or you realize that the systems can't meet your needs. Uh, that's the phase we're really in right now. And so if you look around on Facebook or you look in the newspaper or you watch all those um, different legislators or organizations opening and trying to to kind of band-aid it and fix it and push through and make it go back because it's painful and we don't want to sit there anymore. And in this chapter, he talks about kind of where, where are you going to go? That law of association of you are the combined average of the five people you associate with most. The way you walk, talk, act, think, and dress, your income, accomplishments, values, and philosophies reflect them. If those five people around you have negative philosophies, it's virtually impossible for you to have a positive one. If they complain, live in the past, blame for difficulties, think and act in a generally negative way, what are the odds of you finding your way onto the success curve slim to none? And then he talks in the next part about disassociating yourself. And so uh, we've all kind of talked about on Facebook, you know, you can snooze people, you can unfollow people, you can unfriend people. Um, and in the last few months, I've really been kind of working through those pieces and really going back to my own values. Uh, I'm very much in line with that people can be independent and are intelligent and make choices and that they have to take responsibility for those choices. And at the same time, the rules and the guidelines are what they are for the safety of everyone. And so um, I have disassociated with a lot of the places that I used to go um, because they are not willing to follow the guidelines. And so um, that's changed my perspective on things. And I really had to, to do a lot of work on that. Um, I support small businesses. I've worked through all those small businesses for the quarantine and some of those small businesses that I've um, used the entire time are, are choosing not to follow the guidelines. And so for me, um, working in what I work in, I have to make some really tough choices and um, I have to work within the guidelines of my own work and within the expectations of, of my own uh, being a worker. But I also have to follow those moral and ethical pathways. And so there's a lot of grief work, I think, especially for me right now in grieving um, what's lost in the choices that I've made rather than taking the easier path for me, which would be just to, to go along and, and make it look normal and be okay instead of choosing based on my morals and my ethics. Um, so that's the part I would leave people to be with is that, you know, sometimes we choose to go along and we think we're supporting someone um, because we're supporting them financially. And really what we're doing is creating an expectation that's supporting them and doing something that, that might not be for the best good. Um, 
So really hard choices sitting in this part of, of the disaster pieces. Yeah, and I think that's a, a really powerful me message and not an easy one to share, Kim. Um, you know, with so many things and so many opinions and so many high emotions running during this period of time, um, and everyone's experience is, is different. Um, you know, I, I think I was watching somebody sharing something on social media where people will snap and screenshot things. Um, and one was, you know, you would feel entirely different if you knew someone that was sick or if you were sick. Uh, and that's true. You know, something as simple as that experience changes your complete feeling about everything uh, that's happening at this moment. Whereas if you have not experienced any of that, you have different sensations and feelings. And then on top of that, you know, those, uh, and you mentioned in a couple of episodes, uh, I was the last week or the week before, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs and survival, uh, when people feel threatened that their survival needs are not going to be able to be met, um, they make calls that are they serving their best good in the long haul. Um, and then also we have to make calls about how those those decisions impact us and where we are in our path. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, it's a hard message and, and I would share with anybody listening that doesn't know where they fall and all of that. That's something that you have to come up with yourself. And I think that's something where Kim is a powerful example of that, that she is doing the work to figure out what all this means for you. Because at the end of the day, it has to make sense for you. You're the one that has to live with whatever decisions that you decide to make. So, um, yep. All right. Well, anything else for the good of the order before we release them? And then we will talk to everybody again next week as we close out the slide edge. Yeah, I'm excited to see how it ends since I haven't ever read, you know, read through the whole thing before. Um, I'm curious where he takes us in the last section. Yeah. Um, yes, I'm, uh, I'm excited to close it out. I've really enjoyed going back again through the book. Um, and it's, and he, even, he had a passage in here that talked about how you can read a book, put it on a shelf, and then read it again in a year, and it will speak to you completely different. Um, and I, I think that's 100% true, because that's what I feel every time that I read the, the slight edge. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny that he had that in there, too. All right. Well, then I guess with that, we will be finishing off the book. So it's basically pages 213. I think I have on the reading assignment 272, but I think it's actually like 274 is the actual ending. Um, so it's less than 70 pages as we finish this out. But then next week, Kim will be joining me as we closed out our discussion and talking about how uh, we reacted to the final portion of the book and anything that really strongly connected to us. And then we'll leave you with our. Um, closed caption of something that we think that we would like to share with you as our listeners. So thank you so much for joining us and have a great week. Goodbye.